0: Hey everyone, there's actually a lot more people here than I had anticipated, and this is my first time doing a presentation since college, so <laughs> thanks for coming in and making me nervous. What I want to talk about today real quickly is the future of monetization in the music industry with a little uh, concept that I came up with called crowd patronage. You guys could probably guess where I'm going with that one. But before I indoctrinate you, I want to make a quick introduction. My name is Brian Kim. Currently, I'm at um, TrackSpy. We just came out with a, a new website called Hipset.com, which we're very proud of. So go ahead and check that out when you have a chance. Previously, I was on the founding team of Ustream, and this is way back in 2007. You know, people didn't know what live streaming was, so it afforded me a chance to do a lot of real-time social broadcasts with artists. That uh, that was pretty cool. So the future of music monetization, uh, moving beyond Records' as product... I think the first thing that we have to do if we want to really think of a disruptive kind of new product to sell to fans is get beyond our fixation with selling recorded music as a, as a product. I actually think that, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's something that we've been fixating on. It's something that is, is essentially a linear solution, um, and it might not work in, in the uh, the era of the Internet. Um, and, and it's pretty understandable why we're fixated. Um, back in 1901, the Victor Talking Machine Company launched, and this is significant for two main reasons. Number one, um, it was the launch of the record business as we know it, and that's come to define uh, the music industry uh, as we know it for the past century or so. Um, And the other significant part is it was in 1901. So literally every single person in this room, every single person in the world um, has known this reality, this reality of record industry um, being the, uh, the predominant force in the music industry. Um, but again, the internet did come out. Um, Napster came out. Um, and I think there's a couple of things that keeps us fixated on recorded content. Um, number one, iTunes, um, digital downloads as a product. Um, I argue that it's, it's actually sort of a transi- transitionary kind of product for fans. Um, eventually, I mean, as, as most of you'd probably agree, uh, a lot of these things are going to go towards the cloud. Um, and, um, the move, moving units, uh, I guess, model is going to collapse pretty soon, and that's significant for a lot of reasons. Um, we're still fixated in the sense that uh, digital downloads still has, you know, double-digit year-over-year growth. Um, in The next year or two, certainly in the next two years, um, digital downloads will actually be generating more revenue than CDs, um, at which point um, I think you're going to see a lot of pundits say, oh, that's the n- new wave of the future, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Really, uh, that's all going to come collapsing not too soon after that. So yeah, I mean, uh, th- there's a lot of significance between shifting between digital downloads versus uh, playing things in the cloud. You know, even with a $0.99 cents download, I know a lot of like artists like to complain that the margin sucks compared to CDs. But at the very minimum, you've got an upfront payment. And once you s- switch to a subscription model, you're not moving units, but getting paid on the back end of plays which probably means a lot less margins, probably means you're going to make a lot less money from recordings. And, and another important thing is, uh, just in a behavioral way, you, you don't have a product to sell to fans anymore outside of concerts and merch. So, I mean, before we dive into, I guess, what the next disruptive product, what we can sell to fans, um, I think we do have to sort of explore the role of music before 1901, the role of music in, 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 in the human species, This is a photo of a bone flute unearthed somewhere in Slovenia, I believe, um, at least 40,000 years old. Um, So that means the human species had music for 40,000 years, at least. Um, Just as a point of comparison, um, if we had music for 40,000 years, other, I guess, level up achievements of the human species like civilization, agriculture, writing, have all been around for significantly less time um, than we've had music. Um, So you start to ask yourself, you know, what is it about music that um, um, was such an advantage to human species that we were able to uh, devote so much time out of it outside of hunting or gathering or whatever they were doing 40,000 years ago. And there's a ton of theories on this, but I think uh, the main thing that we still see uh, in evidence in our society today is music as sort of a tribal glue, as a progenerator of communities. Before 1901, A music experience was inherently a public experience. It was participatory. It usually involved the whole clan. And it was real time. Um, That's how we describe it today, right, in the internet world. Um, And music would literally manifest community. Um, A couple of, I guess, ancient paintings to to illustrate that point. This is a couple of Egyptians throwing a party, I guess. (laughs) Same thing, a bunch of Chinese women getting down. This is Frederick the Great, King of Prussia. He was actually a, um, a pretty big a patron of the arts. I think he commissioned something with Bach. He knew Voltaire, and apparently he was a pretty good flute player. And then you, you see these in Aborigine societies as well. This is the uh, a Brazilian indigenous tribe um, doing the Koikoro dance. dance. Um, as you can see, there's a lot of folks there. And this is from National Geographic, <laughs> um, so you know it's good. It's... Uh, <laughs> Australian Aborigines, I believe, according to my notes, um, so again, I mean it, it should be fairly obvious uh you, music has always been a, a public experience it was a whole clan got involved um, and 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 so inherently that follows that musicians are leaders of tribes. What changed? Why have we forgotten about this um, again, the nineteen o one the uh the the record industry completely changed how we humans listen to music um, you know, previously, I think the minimum unit of, of, of a music experience was a clan or a subset of a clan. All of a sudden, with uh, more and more people getting record players and radios in their living room, the minimum unit becomes whoever's in the living room, which could be one person. And, of course, as the decades progressed, we had the car stereo, Walkman, Discman, iPods, iPhones, MP3 players, um, so the minimum unit becomes one and you know suddenly music is um, personal, it's convenient it's on demand, and it's very prevalent but also lonely and isolating um, but having said that, we still see evidence of music as a communal force in our society music is uh, a lot more than sounds that you hear through a headphone um, just as an example, here's some pictures from EDC which I actually didn't attend, but it um, should be clear that uh, you know, for the EDM scene, it's not even just about the music. It's about a lot of different things. It's about the scene, the fashion, value, the subculture values, venue, lights, um, dancing, costumes. Um, it's a lot more than just the uh, whatever's going on on stage and, and the sounds that you might be hearing. Um, and a perfect example of, of music being more than sounds is Gathering of the Juggalos, which I also didn't go to, but sounds like a good time. Um... <laughs> So again, music, uh, in today's term, um, you could say anthropologically is the original social network. Um, And that makes artists uh, founders of communities. Um, In a network world, in an internet world, that's actually uh, a pretty powerful superpower. Um, So if you accept that, uh, how do we monetize these music communities? Um, Number one, um, we do have to build an ecosystem of fans. That's pretty obvious. I think the way that you see it these days... Um, it usually means you're, you're upping your social media numbers. Most artists know that you should be having some sort of direct communication with fans. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's, for, it's for promotional purposes. Um, but the second part, the, the more important part, is once we have this ecosystem of fans, um, and assuming that you get to know them, you have, you have a CRM system in the back end and know who these guys are, many different ways to communicate with them, um, You know, the Internet allows you to... Uh, have a direct contact with a lot of these fans and shout out a lot of these fans. Um, And maybe there's a way to dole out those units of relationships um, to deserving fans. Um, Either they earn it or they pay for it, which could be the same thing. Um, So you're starting to see a lot of uh, crowd patron projects, um, especially on Kickstarter, Pledge Music, a lot of different platforms. Um, These are just some of the examples of the things that you see artists are selling these days. Um, really, the limit is your imagination and, you know, uh, artists are creative people. I th- I'm sure they can give a, a pr- pretty uh, interactive experience for their fans, um, if they got the dough. Um, so one good example of this, the Amanda Palmer Kickstarter. How many of you guys have heard of the uh, Amanda Palmer Kickstarter? Okay, good. Everyone. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you guys know it was, it was a fairly successful project. Um, she had a $100,000 goal to record her album. She met that in seven hours. Um, eventually went on to set a then Kickstarter record of 1.2 million dollars total, um, and if you look at some of the tiers and some of the more you know some of the more uh, revenue generating tiers, um, a lot of them are not based on delivering a, a commodified product; they're based on giving an experience to to the fan who supports them. So one of the more popular ones, the 300 dollars tier, got you an invite to an invite only um, art show that Amanda, Amanda Palmer is hosting, or if you had 5,000 uh, dollars, and apparently 34 of peop- of her fans did. Um, she would literally come to your living room and throw you a party um and if you had a little bit more than that then you could hang out with her whole day have a dinner um these are very much not albums that you're selling to your fans so um i call it crowd patronage it's 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 uh it's a little misleading in the sense that um you know it's not a donation it's not charity these these tiers must have some sort of real value for the artist. If you look at a lot of the uh, the crowdsourced tiers uh, and, and products that artists are selling, they're based on one of three values. Exclusivity, you see a lot of that with uh, physical products that they're giving out. They'll number them um, and, uh, and make sure that there's some sort of intangible meaning behind these physical products. Access to artists, we talked about this a little bit um, with Amanda Palmer. Um, and recognition and participation, especially in the creative process. So um, shouting them out on Twitter, sh- uh, putting them in the liner notes, you know, collecting recorded stems, and, and incorporating that into the music that they make. Um, a, a lot of these, you know, one, one of three things, have to basically catch that uh, the fan, and, and and it has to be something that they're willing to pay for, and it can't be you know a pr- primarily a charitable endeavor um, like a lot of, uh, of 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 music industries today. If you could pull that off, the cool thing about crowd patronage is, is it's very complementary to the Internet. You know, As you know, with recorded content in the Internet era, it's copy and pasteable. The scarcity of distribution is destroyed. Therefore, the monetary value is going to sink down with that. With crowd patronage, the scarcity of artist's time and attention is still preserved. I mean, that's always going to be a finite amount. There's 24 hours in a day. And in theory, there's a lot of different ways you can interact with your fans online or, or in person which in theory could increase the demand for this kind of product, um, especially as you build a, a bigger and bigger fan base. The 80-20 principle, um, previously with, with uh, you know, selling CDs, if you want to be a major success, go platinum, you actually need like a million people to buy your CDs. So you need a million people to pay for something. And uh, you know, with the crowd patronage model, um, obviously there's not one commodified product. There's a lot of different tiers. There's a lot of very premium tiers. Um, so the 80-20 principle starts to work for the artist. Um, you can actually generate a whole lot of money from just a fraction of of, of your audience. So records. I mean, r- r- obviously, th- there's a lot of records being recorded. There's still a role for records. Um, and a lot of the arguments you hear about, like, records uh, being the marketing vehicle f- to sell tickets, to sell merch, uh, would actually work a lot better for crowd patrons in the sense that, you know, you have a, a, a ready audience of the world who, who who can participate in whatever you're selling. And I know all this comes back full circle. You know, since 1901, we've known a a way of interacting with music. And, you know, there's been a lot of, 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 I guess, uh, of mannerisms that have built around that. A lot of artists are um, somewhat skeeved out about having to actually interact with fans or actually taking them out of the studio. And, And that's a valid argument. But I would say that for most of human history, artists were very much a part of the community. And in fact, there was, that was their primary will. So in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, it, once you shift that kind of behavior, what do, what do these artists come up with and do they find an inherent value that's somewhere deep in their DNA when they're organizing these kinds of community. And it always starts with a good song, of course. So yeah, that's the end of my presentation. I actually wrote a, a really long TLDR article or a blog essay about this on my, on my website, bryank.im. It's also on hypebot. Um, so if you missed anything or you want to get into the details, uh, I invite you to read it there. And I'm at Twitter at Fresh Breakfast. And yeah, that's it. Questions? So the question is, you know, in the crowd patronage model, does does a, a huge star like Justin Bieber um, do they do they lose the value? Do they lose the intimacy? Yeah, probably. But <laughs> I, I have to think that there's plenty of Justin Bieber fans that want to pay X amount of dollars to hang out with them for a whole day. I do feel like, and this is all sort of a guess, but I do feel like, first of all, as numbers increase in your fan base, you know, you have a much larger population of fans who, doesn't care, who don't really care about that stuff. And number two, you know, I think the model actually works better with the bigger fan base in the sense that what, whatever kind of interaction you might have with the artist, especially one that's public, uh, becomes a lot more valuable, not just because the artist has this direct communication with, with the artist, or so with the fan, the fan has a direct communication with the artist, But because the fan knows that this is going out to like a million Justin Bieber fans, right? There's a secondary kind of element of of, um, the clan recognizes me, right? And this is a big clan, so I must be important. So I I have to guess, like, like, just like anything, the the, the more famous you get, the more fans you have, um, the better it'll work. In fact, um, when I put this out in the Hacker News comments, um, there were a couple of people who said this is a model that can only work for big artists, right? Right. you know, can, can, can an indie artist generate that kind of, 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 of enthusiasm for these kinds of products? I think we'll probably see. I think Amanda Palmer is a start. But I bet if, if, if Justin Bieber did a, a Kickstarter, that, I don't know, they'd set all types of records and the world would explode. Next. Oh, 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 sorry. Thanks, guys. And I'll be around all day, by the way. So come say hi.